Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. What is good, everybody? Come on in. Going to be a fun show tonight here on the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm Joey Powell for InsideCarolina.com, and we're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirts. All right, standard edition of the Coast to Coast podcast, but y'all, it is going to be a big show and a fun show. As you can imagine, Tar Heels coming off of a big win last night, 94-81 to 81, uh, against the Duke Blue Devils in Durham. Uh, just an absolutely amazing game. And because nobody else wanted to talk about North Carolina before or during the game, uh, there were other things that they wished to place their emphasis on. We're going to talk about Carolina tonight, and we're going to talk about the Tar Heels and the way they played and all of the things that went into a North Carolina win as they wrap up the regular season and secure a surprising third seed in the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. With me, as always, Sherell McMillan, Sean Moran, the guys that you are here to hear from, and I'm sure they have uh, insight abound, as they always do, but there's just a lot to talk about tonight. Sherell, how you feeling? I'm good. Was anything else having this weekend important? Uh, Man City got a win today in the Manchester Derby, uh, so that was nice. The, the yeah. Batman came out. The Batman was the answer we were looking for. The Batman? Yes. Is that a thing? Yes, it's a movie. Oh, all right. Sean, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Just rewatched the game and watched the thrilling Patriot League semifinal, Navy Boston. So it's been a good <laughs> afternoon of basketball. I saw you pumping up uh pumping up Navy uh on it was, that. A, it was a fantastic uh game. Hey man, it's a great time if you love college ball. Uh, when these, you know, these mid-major tournaments get going, they'll suck you in if you allow them. So uh, definitely appreciate the shout out that you threw out there. Something that sucked all of us in was a game last night in Durham, Tar Heels 94-81 winner, as I said earlier. Guys, I, I, I don't know really where to start. I am at a loss for words because there's just so much. And if you're anything like me, last night after the game was over, you could not consume enough content because it was just flying all around, whether it was memes or actual statistical data, just a lot happening. A uh, couple of, you know, a couple of high level notes. UNC had four guys with 20 plus points or 20 points or more in a single game, which has never been done in the history of Carolina basketball. When you talk about a program that's been around as long as the Tar Heels basketball program has, anytime you do anything that has never been done in the history of ever with this program, that's substantial. There was that. Uh, Tar Heels almost shot 60%, I believe, in the second half. Uh, didn't shoot a ton of threes in the second half. Went four for seven, 
but the threes they hit were huge. Just amazing games from the five starters that played the entire second half and just a big win for Hubert Davis. And, you know, really in what's been a trying time for this season. Now I'm going to get to you guys. 94 points against a Duke team that has been defending really, really well this season. Sean, how do you put two and two together and come up with with that kind of offensive production against that Duke team? I mean, I, I think, you know, that they, they played as as well as you can play offensively. Uh, you mentioned the, the four players scoring 20 plus. And, you know, once again, this was uh, the second game in a row where all the players had an offensive rating of 100 greater than 100. Um, and I think, you know, from the beginning, you know, the, the thing that stuck out in my mind was how are they going to start? Because in Chapel Hill, uh, the game was pretty much over, you know, almost it felt like a minute in when Duke just jumped out and. And then it was it was uphill after that. And this time, you know, Caleb drives baseline and feeds Armando and it, it's a, you know, goes for a dunk and they get out to a lead. I think gave him confidence. And, you know, I know we'll talk about it later, but RJ Davis's ability to, you know, to handle the ball, uh, not turn the ball over, keep the dribble alive, hit really tough shots uh, because it was evident early on Duke was just going to switch and kind of get Carolina out of their offense, make him go one-on-one, which we know is not, usually their strength, um, but he played phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, everybody else chipped in, you know, as a, as the game went and it was just a very high level uh, locked in performance. I think the thing that got lost amongst most of the talking heads was all of the non-game stuff. And I think lost among that was that North Carolina played a great game and Duke did not play poorly. North Carolina just played much better. Sherelle, I want to ask you, did you see anything ahead of last night or, you know, was it just that first play where Caleb drove baseline and dished to Armando Baycott for a dunk that kind of indicated, whoa, maybe this team has found something. Did you see anything ahead of last night that made you think this team was going to play the way they played at such a high level? No. Um, (laughs) I I think you saw them turning the corner. We, We talked about this a few times as far as the energy, energy effort and toughness that hadn't been an issue in weeks. So I think that was on their side. I think we saw them um, handling pressure in adverse situations over the last few weeks. So that was on their side. And then the fact that they played so poorly in the Smith Center, you add all those things together and you expected a better showing. Like I thought, I thought the line being 12 or 11 and a half was, was a bit wild. I think there was any way that Duke was going to cover that, all things considered. Um, so uh, there were signs that they had improved, but I don't think anyone outside of that locker room could really have expected this. You might have wished for it or hoped for it, but expected is very different. Uh, so you have to give a lot of credit to Hubert Davis for um, really, I mean, I'm sure people are going to listen to this and get upset, but for out coaching one of the three greatest coaches of all time in his last game in the stadium that is, you know, basically it's not named for him, but it might as well be. Um, and he, he went in there and did that. And, uh, Sean talked about R.J. Davis. I thought he was just tremendous. And um, again, the guards didn't play well in the first two games. I'm not sure that was on their mind, but it looked like your typical UNC Duke game with a little twist, um, being that UNC was much more pick and roll heavy as, as opposed to how they traditionally played under Roe Williams. But the result was the same, which was North Carolina's guards, um, you know, just going to the rim kind of at will. Uh, there was no answer 
for RJ Davis's drive. Then once he got into the lane, he made a lot of great decisions. So did Leaky Black, so did K.O. Love a few times. Um, and just their ability, which they didn't show at all on Chapel Hill, to get by defenders when Duke switched everything. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was traditional line. It was, it was Ty Lawson, you know, beating those guys. It was Kendall Marshall. It was Ray Felton. It, it was, it was what you expect Carolina to look like when they're playing that aggressive defense that Duke likes to play. Let's keep it right here. And, and if anybody doesn't like what you said about, you know, one coach out coaching another one, uh, they're probably listening to the wrong podcast or they didn't watch the same game that we did because Hubert Davis absolutely made the necessary changes, both pregame and in game that got his team an unranked team that had not done this in the Smiths or in the in Cameron Indoor Stadium against a ranked Duke team since 1990. I want to stay right here, though. Was that the best passing? And maybe you can probably look a little bit towards the Syracuse game, but is this the best passing we've seen from the guard position uh, from North Carolina all season? Sherelle? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say from the from a team perspective, I thought the ball just moved around um, very easily and it got to the right places quickly. They were decisive. There wasn't a lot of wasted movement. And, you know, the, the assist to made field goal ratio wasn't anything crazy, but I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, hockey assists and um, a lot of uh, forced rotations that allowed guys to drive and then either, you know, finish with a layup where there's no assist technically, but there was an assist because of how the ball swung so fast and, and you know, teams got, do get out of their rotations um, and, and people were left open. Um, so I, I think from an overall perspective, again, take out Syracuse because you have to play that way against them. It probably was. I mean, it, offensively, I, I, I don't know in the second half, I don't know that it can get much better than what they did in the second half. I mean, that was, that was a, <laughs> I've been accused of being hyperbolic this weekend. If you didn't know, it was a that, was a, that was a first half against Michigan state in the title game type offensive performance there in the second half. It, it, there was nothing Duke could do. Uh, Sean, I want to come to you with this. Uh, one of the reasons UNC was so successful in the second half, and, and I think Sherelle did a great job of pointing it out, one of the reasons UNC was so successful was that they found that high ball screen and they stayed with it. And because Duke was switching, they never really figured out how to handle it. And, and I want to give, again, credit to Hubert Davis and his staff for continuing to go there because whether it was staying on the ball handler or rotating off to the big, Duke never had an answer and UNC always picked the right way. Is that something North Carolina can continue to employ the rest of the way and potentially find some success in the tournament as well? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think, um, you know, teams will, will defend it differently and, and starting in the ACC tournament, you know, with what will most likely be UVA, um, obviously not a UVA defense of normal, but an improving UVA from when we first saw it. Um, but in terms of, of making the right decision, um, you know, I think that that just shows in large part the growth that this team has had uh, throughout the year in terms of, uh, you know, really being able to make the right decision, but also find find the right teammate. And I think that was shown, you know, time and time again, really started out with Caleb Love uh, when they were down, you know, five to seven, and he made a lot of great plays, whether it was him scoring or passing to Armando, and then it turned into RJ doing the same thing, uh, especially kind of that little high bounce pass he made uh, on the left side. But even outside of the pick and roll, uh, you know, once again, it was finishing, uh, you know, with the defender right on you with some very unorthodox, um, you know, finishing moves. Uh, and then 
kicking out, whether it was to Manic or, or Leaky, um, you know, at the right time. And once again, everything was, was working perfectly. Even when one time we did jump in the passing lane, I think it was AJ Griffin who uh, deflected it and uh, went to Palo, but all of a sudden back to, back to Caleb. Um, so I think it just shows the kind of the maturation of the guards as well as the improvement. And I think that is what they can take, you know, going forward of, once again, continuing to know their roles with the team and, and how each other can can flow off of one another. Sherell, I want to ask you, um, I think I, I think that this team obviously found something that allowed them to play free yesterday. You know, you talk to folks around the program quite frequently. Do you have any inkling as to what it was that may have triggered them to play so free, or was it just a was it just the counterfactual of all of the the pressure being on the home team? Well, they felt embarrassed after the first game. I mean, they were obviously livid, and this was an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, somewhat make up for that. In addition to your point, uh, it was a game in which no one will ever play that game again. There'll be lots of games of basketball. There'll be lots of number one seeds. There'll be lots of chances to win, you know, ACC championships. There'll be chances to win... ACC tournament championships and other games against Duke, but never again in time will there be the final game of Mike in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And I think they saw that as an opportunity um, to, to quote a former Duke player to shock the world. And that's, that's the mindset that they've had, you know, they had to get through Syracuse and once they got through Syracuse, it was a chance to breathe, relax, and then come in there with a mentality uh, that they would win. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, like I said, I, I feel like this has been building, you know, again, if you take that Pittsburgh game away, you see it, you know, just in a straight line Add the Pittsburgh game in, and it's not quite linear. Um, but this has kind of been building, they playing well against, uh, on the road, playing well, um, against teams who, um, are having, you know, great games playing well in current situations. I, I had to look at it, but I think they won six ACC road games in a row. It was eleven. Like it was eleven out of twelve overall, which was which is the big thing if you don't count that pit loss. Right, right, and then just the fact they've been so good on the road, um, I think you could see a good performance coming. Again, I don't, I don't think we could have predicted a thirteen point win, but I, I do think the this win um, or this great performance from them or good performance from them was on the way. So I think it's a combination of all that of being disrespected, of being embarrassed, of being frankly just not even mentioned it, it was basically like duke versus no one in the game <laughs> the way in the lead up in the coverage and i know the coverage doesn't matter with what happens on the court but i do think it's impossible to be human and not have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when you're seeing and reading consuming all that this is a direct quote when the game opened and they actually got to playing basketball and tipping it off dan shulman said north carolina playing the role of opponent tonight for duke i mean this is the best rivalry in all of sports when would you ever again in your life think that one half of that rivalry would be an also ran? Um, something you talked about a second ago with that Pittsburgh game, and I want to stay with you, Sherelle. How did the Pittsburgh game just wake this team up? Because again, three weeks ago, they got absolutely Peter rolled at home by a bad Pittsburgh team. And, and you know, I, I buy what you're saying about the chip on their shoulder and being uh, being embarrassed by Duke and not wanting to have that again and feeling disrespected because of all of the pomp and circumstance around the game. Did something with that Pittsburgh game actually 
change the way this team prepared? Did it change the way this team was wired? Did it change the way the coaching staff coached? Yeah, I don't have particularly inside information on that, but I don't know how you can look at it and say that it did. Um, and it's fun to say, well, they should have beat Pittsburgh. Well, if they beat Pittsburgh, do they beat Virginia Tech? Do they go on this role? Do they have that galvanizing moment, whether it was a players-only meeting or just a, a real conversation about exactly where things stand? It seemed like the fifth look in the mirror meeting that they've had this season was, or the sixth was finally the one that made the impact. And to Hebert Davis's credit, he's been saying this year, like, you know, they're not far away. They're, they're getting closer. He's been very upbeat. And I think um, all of us at some point have kind of given him a hard time for that. But it seems based upon the results that he knew how to massage this team to get them playing their best ball at the most important time, which is what his mentors, you know, did for almost 20 years at UNC. Uh, so I, I, I think to answer your question, I don't see how you, you can say that Pittsburgh wasn't a, a similar moment that changed the season. Well, 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 a North Carolina basketball team is playing its best ball in March. Go figure. Uh, Sean, I, I want to talk about one more specific strategically from the game last night, and then we can go to some larger topics. Uh, the defensive strategy that Hubert Davis employed last night was different than what we have seen him uh, use most of, the, most of this year. And since that, from what I could tell and from what, it, what I saw him say or what saw the players say in postgame, he played straight up positional man for man ball. Like, you know, five on five guy on the five, the four guy on the four, whomever is on the floor, that's who you're playing against. Uh, it seemed to work in some cases. Granted, Duke did shoot a pretty high percentage. I think they shot 58% in the first half. Um, but it did seem to rattle them down the stretch. How do you feel like that may have shaken things up from the first game? Uh, and again, I don't think anybody would have would expect Paolo Bancaro to be able to, you know, to be able to have trouble with with Brady Manick or vice versa, Brady Manick be able to stop Paolo Bancaro. But it really seemed that was the case, and it seemed to shake things up a little bit. How did you see that playing out? And and are there some nuances there that maybe we didn't see on first watch? I mean, I, I think that was the main question coming in, especially given the surprise uh, for everybody in the first game when you know we saw Armando Baycott on Palo Banchero to start the game, and uh, you know then it he picked up the the two quick fouls and that that changed the course um so you know this time it was a question well leaky had a good defensive game on palo well you start with him but i think that you know they they did what they had to do um going you know they caught on on williams and uh and manic on on palo and to manic's credit you know he did a he did a pretty you know pretty good job and when when you see ben ben Caro took 20 i think 25 shots um, that meant that, you know, the other guys, you know, you did have Roach and some other guys hitting shots, but they weren't, especially AJ Griffin. Um, you know, he, he hit a few, but he was kind of a non-factor for the majority of the game with Leakey being able to, uh, really take away his, his ability to drive and get to the basket. Um, and then at the end, you know, they made it just tough enough. Sure. He got his dunks and some, some layups when he was attacking the basket, but they also forced him to take jump shots. Um, and a lot of those look good, but, they were contested. Um, you know, they're not, they're not layup. So, you know, the percentages are going to go down. And I think at the end of the game, when all of us watching were like, is this really happening? The, the offense basically went to Palo going one-on-one -on -one. Um, and all it takes is one or two misses. And, you know, that was the the ball game. So you got to give Manic credit, but I think also, you know, it was a, the whole team did a good job on getting through 
the pick and rolls, um, you know, helping, uh, knowing kind of where Duke's players wanted to catch the ball off of that and, and not giving up, um, you know, wide open shots to, uh, to the rest of the team for the most part. Another thing that I saw, and this played out defensively too, they weren't afraid to get physical with Duke. And I don't think that was something that was even remotely close to considered in the game in Chapel Hill is that Duke came out and really just mashed the Tar Heels out in the first meeting. Whereas to last night, uh, on Saturday night, I should say, uh, North Carolina got body to body with Duke. I mean, Theo John was getting takedowns and, and North Carolina didn't seem to be backing down or shying away from that. Uh, something that I really loved about Saturday night was when all of the UNC fans and students rushed Franklin Street to go to Johnny T-shirt after the game. That was freaking awesome. I don't know if you guys saw any of this video footage, but you know, thousands of kids uh, amidst the tail, you know, a, an ending pandemic. We hope, and and two really atypical years of basketball for North Carolina. You're at the end of a coaching change. Just the huge catharsis of winning that game against Duke Saturday night. It just spurred all those students to to run up to Franklin Street and go to Johnny T-shirt. And I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, I saw some of the the video footage and. I don't know how Johnny T-Shirt handled uh, all of that business at one time, but I'm sure that they did because they always have. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt has always been able to take care of of all of the orders after big games like this, all of the folks who want to get new merch. Uh, shout out to the baseball team who just completed a sweep of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers in the Boschmer this weekend. Uh, they were rocking some cool threads. I would highly expect that those folks that rushed Franklin Street and went to Johnny T-Shirt after the game got some of those same threads. We want you to do the same. Go to johnnytshirt.com. You can rush Franklin Street. East Franklin Street's where uh, Johnny T-Shirt is. Check them out. Inside Carolina premium subscribers know you get that extra 10% off the top. Use that. Uh, please patronize Johnny T-Shirt. We love them for their support. Alumni-owned, family-operated. We're big fans of theirs. and want you to be fans of theirs as well. Take a quick break here on the Coast to Coast. We're going to let the national guys come in and drop some of their advertisements in here. We'll be right back to talk about some larger implications and some of the wider angle stuff. I say wider angle because I know Sherelle loves corporate talk like that. Uh, we're going to get some wider angle views of what this means for the rest of the season for this Tar Heel basketball team here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Stick around. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right, we're back. Joey Powell here hosting this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast for InsideCarolina.com. Sherell McMillan, Sean Moran with me as always, bringing the heat and the thunder and the analysis that you crave and that you have come to expect from us on this pod. Guys, uh, a couple of things that I want to talk about kind of with respect to what this means for the rest of the season. Uh, this is this is kind of the the, the rubbing the genie and, and looking in the crystal ball and all that stuff, but we felt, if you go back and look at, at what you guys said uh, prior to the season, that it was going to take Hubert Davis a while to get this team to gel and to find some real chemistry. Well, uh, four months later, uh, two players who are, are not available to this team, uh, one has you know left to go back home to be with ailing family members, another one is ineligible due to academics. Uh, all of this stuff has happened. We've seen some bad losses. We've seen some good wins. We've now seen a really good win. Is this team where we expected them to be 10 months ago, Sean? Uh, it's a great question because, you know, I, I, for one, didn't didn't know where where would this team team be. And I think you see 15 and five in, in ACC play. And I'd say that's definitely, you know, even with a down down ACC, um, you know, that's still a tremendous, tremendous record. And once again, there have been very close games that could have gone either way with Virginia Tech or Louisville, Syracuse. So, you know, it's not like they're out of the woods, but I think the game against Duke showed that maybe their ceiling is, is higher than we've anticipated. Terrell's been talking all year about from a talent level, you know, they're, they're up there. And I think we, we saw that. Um, now it's can they stay focused and play that way, you know, really over the next the next two weeks um, and see, you know, what can happen. So I would say, you know, from the beginning of the season, um, you know, and especially, you know, having watched them in person at that Brown game at the, at the beginning of the year, they're definitely ahead of where I thought. Um, and the talent from the names and, you know, the four stars and five stars, you're, you're starting to see that um, and, and how they've been playing and how they've been responding to, to challenges. Sherelle, I'm going to ask you the same thing. I know you're a humble guy, but you were probably the most uh, even keel, as you always are, about what is this team? Are they going to round into form? And even after some of the frustrating losses, I, I think you still kind of saw this as a work in progress. What about you? Is this team kind of where you thought they would be 10 months ago? Yeah, I think it's pretty, I mean, pretty close, honestly. Um, and that's, I'm not saying I'm a soothsayer or anything, but it just didn't go. They didn't get there the way we thought they were going to get there. They, they went on past the exit for, you know, interstate 95 and they just went a, a completely different road. It took a highway 24 instead of interstate 95. And you, you don't do that because you get on yeah, 24 you and you end up at the, the Howard Johnson's out there at yeah, Cedar Creek yeah, and you don't need all that. Yeah. 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 That's a nice common County reference for those who know very specific. Um, but yeah, you know, we talked to they, they they have the talent that that's i don't think that's ever been an issue the issue was this is a new system with um integrating new parts uh, with guys who are learning new roles and trying to figure out themselves um and they didn't get the chance to do it during a pandemic year and it's taken 31 games and you know like i said four and a half months but it does seem like um they are finally there where stuff is starting to get to get consistent you kind of know what you're going to get and for the first two and a half three months of the season that just wasn't the case um now what worries me or i shouldn't say what worries me but 
up until this game, every time North Carolina has started to garner some success, um, they, they took it back. And so I, I don't think there's any way they can really um, invalidate this win because, it, in my opinion, humble, it's the best regular season win in North Carolina history. So they can't invalidate that. But it would be rough if they go into Thursday night, you know, most likely against Virginia and, and just kind of don't show up. Yeah. You would expect and you would hope that now they have a taste of what it takes and wh- how they can compete against a team that was, you know, likely or had a chance to be a number one seed. Um, you know, they win that game. They they can show now they know they can compete and they can do this. And they seen the effort and the energy and the toughness and all that stuff that it takes. You would hope that then now it'd be much easier to replicate because before they were trying to do it, but they weren't getting the results. Now they've mm-hmm. done it. They've got the results. So do it again. Um, I know that is uh, a tough charge considering the environment they just won in, but that's how you keep things moving because just like, uh, you know, they were saying in Durham last night, the season's not over. It kind of feels like it, but the season's not over. There's still games to be played. And, you know, who, who's to say that if RJ Davis and Caleb Love get hot, that they can't shoot Carolina, you know, into the second weekend or farther. Um, hold, so that that's, hold that thought. That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I love that. Uh, I, I love that you guys have developed enough. Uh, we've developed enough synergy together that we know where we're going to go. Cause Sean actually touched on this a little bit a second ago in his answer. Uh, does this change this team's ceiling for you? Sherelle, I'll stay with you since you've got the, you've got your mic off of mute. What does this change this team's ceiling for you? Not, not no, would I, could not would or could, but do, do you think this team will do better now in the ACC and NCAAs than, than you would have thought three weeks ago? Um, that's tough. Uh, no, I, I think their ceiling is still the same. Cause I mean, they're, they're a talented team. They've got a, a bunch of really good players. Uh, they've got six or seven really good players. Um, they're starting five. I think we've seen what they can do. So the ceiling, no, the ceiling hasn't changed for me because the ceiling all along was second weekend and, and farther. That hasn't changed because you knew the talent was there. It was just up to the talent to do what the head coach asked consistently and play hard and, you know, put themselves in position to win. So no, the, the, the ceiling hasn't changed at all. Um, their ability to execute. Now I, I'm, I'm believing in that a little bit more than I did maybe a couple of weeks ago. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I like that. I mean, you were always the one that had the, uh, that, that was kind of sold and was still hammering home that this team is talented. Uh, and again, you saw it at a very high level Saturday night against Duke. Sean, what about you? Does this change? where you see this team ceiling, you touched on it in your answer a second ago, but I want to kind of give you some more room to focus on that specifically. Is your vision of, of what this team's potential is different than it was, uh, say, after the Pittsburgh game? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little more hope or optimism in terms of maybe what, what this team could do in the tournament. Um, you know, not dissimilar to maybe last year after the, the Notre Dame win or Virginia Tech win in the ACC tournament where you're like, well, you know, if they, they get a good matchup, which obviously they didn't uh, in the, in the tournament. Uh, and, and I think it's going to come down similarly of, you know, could they, you know, lose to what I, what I think will be UVA and then get knocked down in the first round for sure. Um, but, you know, with a few right matchups, you know, could they get to that, that second weekend, which I think everybody would consider a success um, for right, for right now. Um, and I think, you know, once again, they, they really didn't have everybody was talking about the quad one wins or lack thereof throughout the season. They really just didn't have the reps. Um, you know, obviously they didn't take advantage of their chances 
early on with the bad losses on the road. Uh, and then, you know, had the Miami and weight games, but other than that, they just weren't getting the reps. Um, and I think winning at Duke, um, you know, gives them that confidence. And I think outside of a handful of teams in the country, you know, they can, they can play with a lot of people and they have that talent if things are, are clicking. So once again, I think it maybe gave me, gave me a little more hope as to what could go right. If, if everything is, is clicking, uh, as well as, you know, who the matchup, who the matchups are come the tournament time. Sorry about the pause. was looking at some stats as I'm getting ready for this next question. Uh, boys, I am going to be accused of being a homer because of uh, the nature of Inside Carolina's work following one specific program. But if I had a vote, and I want to say I do not have a vote. I know our colleague Gregory Hall does. I do not have a vote for the ACC uh, Conference Awards. They will be announced at 9 a.m. on Monday. So depending on when you get this pod, they may already be out. But as of Sunday night, March the 6th, I'm going after Saturday. Armando Baycott is the player of the year in the conference. Talk me out of it. Sean, go. Um, I'm I'm not going to talk you out of that because that's, that's what it should be, I think. Uh, it would be a question if UNC, uh, you know, was sitting there at 12 and eight or, or something, something like that, but 15 and five, you know, being pretty close to the, you know, one, one game out of being tied for the, the conference championship. Um, and, and given what he has done consistently with the double doubles and just monster stat lines. Uh, and once again, playing like he did in that final game. I, I would be shocked if, um, you know, it's not, not him. He, there'll obviously be some votes for Alondis and Palo, but I don't see how it would not be Armando uh, coming out of Monday. Drill, same to you. Uh, talk me out of why Armando Baycott should not be this year's ACC player of the year. Yeah. I, like you forget what podcasts we're on. Like I'm going to talk you out of it. What, what, am, I, <laughs> what am I doing? I don't want to get slandered. Um, I think there's a case to be made for Alondis Williams and Armando Baycott. I think to me, those are the, the, the top two. Um, I think Paula Bencaro would probably be third. Alondis Williams, uh, they, they both have, are doing things that, that haven't either haven't been done um, in ACC or it's been a long time since they've been done. There's a stat about, you know, Armando Baycott's uh, points, rebounds and field goal percentage. The first time anybody's had those numbers since Tim Duncan. That is significant because Tim Duncan is one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, and then Alondis Williams, who I, I don't, I don't know if he finished as the first he did. player. For to, assist, okay, yeah. He did, yeah. He's averaging so the, 5.3 a game. So uh, as you said before, the first, if you're the first of anything at, in North Carolina basketball or in the ACC, that is significant as well. So I, I wouldn't have a, a an issue if someone said, well, Alondis Williams is more important to his team than Ar- Armando Baker. I'm not saying I believe that, but I think that is a, defensible argument which is all we're talking about yeah um all you know this stuff is subjective but as long as you can make your case for the person that you're voting for um then you know i'm fine with it if you're trying to go on things other than game performance then i think that is an issue um but if people held their vote until after um, (laughs) saturday night night, yeah yeah people sitting there voting today i think armando baycott will probably get it i mean the the coach of the team who finished first said that he should be player of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, the coach of, of one of the teams that tied for second said he should be player of the year. So I think you should listen to those folks. They're very knowledgeable. Um, and then 
I think when it comes down to Williams and Baycott, they also are the two most indispensable players for their particular teams. So whether or not you're picking MVP or best player or however you define it, I think it always comes back to Williams and to Baycott. And, you know, I probably would vote Baycott because of what he did last night. Um, that was the kind of the final tiebreaker with UNC finishing well above Wake Forest in the conference standings. But I, I don't think it would be a travesty if someone decided they wanted to vote for Alonis Williams. Uh, and, and I agree with that. I think Williams has had a phenomenal season. I would not be upset if he gets it, but my beef would be if folks voted prior to the game last night, because again, knowing the, the environment and the atmosphere and how he showed up against who will probably be the conference defensive player of the year in Mark Williams, I think that says a lot about, about Baycott and his step forward. I'm just going to read his stat line from ESPN right now. Forgive me for not using the ACC stats or otherwise, but Armando Baycott's individual stats this year uh, is averaging 16.6 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game. The rebounds is first in the conference points. I think he's fifth. Uh, he averages 1.5 assists per game and is shooting six, almost 60% from the field. Like that's just, that's absolutely absurd when you consider his usage rate. Sean, I know you're a fan of using uh, usage rate stats and things like that. Um, do you think we see another player like Armando Baycott in a UNC uniform, considering the shift from uh, the old style of, of really post-heavy uh, inside out to now Hubert Davis's offense of being a lot more free-flowing and a lot more wide open? Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, ideally I would love to see, you know, see once again, a, 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 a strong post player, you know, that perhaps can, can stretch a little bit more, but at the same time, I think you need to be able to throw it down though, especially in college. Um, and as long as you're surrounding them with shooters and with the ability to space the floor, you know, I don't see, I don't see why that can't continue. Um, you know, I, I think, Armando has been the perfect um, collegiate player and has followed, you know, the examples of Bryce Johnson and, and other players that came in as freshmen uh, didn't, you know, didn't blow anybody away, but they were very efficient coming off the bench and limited minute, minutes. And then each year they've, they've shown a very uh, steady, steady improvement um, to where their potential, you know, ACC player of the year. So It'll be interesting, especially as we, you know, learn more and more about Hubert's recruiting. Obviously, we, we have one class in the books and Jalen Washington being the big that they focused on is more of a, a stretch type of guy or somebody that's comfortable shooting from 15. But I think, uh, you know, we've all seen the benefits of, of having an imposing player down low um, and what that can do. You know, and also I, I knew that uh, I know that Armando did not have his double double against Duke, but again, his his last uh, last five games, he did get seven uh, rebounds against Duke uh, and only missed one field goal. But his last five games, uh, including that seven rebound outing against the Blue Devils, uh, 15, 15, 18, and 18. Uh, just absolutely absurd the way he was cleaning the glass. And I'm sure everybody who has seen, who is listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, has seen the video of Baycott and Brady Manick hugging Hubert Davis. But it was just a really cool moment to see the emotions uh, for that kid knowing, you know, how much trust he had to put into this staff and how much trust the staff put into him and seeing it come to fruition in Cameron Indoor on Saturday night was, was just really neat. And it's one of the things that makes college basketball so rewarding and so fun to watch. All right, boys, before we get out of here, uh, there's so much to talk about from this game. I'm sure I left some things off. Sherelle, what did I miss that you would like us to touch on before we head out? 
uh, we we talked about how um, a lot of people talked about how if UNC could if if the game plan should be to let Paolo Bancaro kind of do his thing and then try to choke off everything else. And um, that seemed to be a little bit of the game plan. There wasn't much double teaming, uh, but Leaky Black was just phenomenal on Griffin. And if you remember, Griffin, I think, had 27 points um, in the first game. He was the reason that they beat UNC. Yep. I think that's fair to say. Yep. In this game, he had five points. And a lot of that is credit to Leaky Black because he played some tremendous defense. Yeah, the length obviously bothered Griffin. And then even on the offensive side, um, just the way he keeps the ball moving. And you're really starting to see in this offense some of the stuff that people love so much about Leaky and getting into the paint and then kicking. I mean, one of the most important plays of the game, it's a little bit underrated, is at the end of the first half, Carolina's down by nine, and Black gets the ball at the top of the key. He drives into the paint. He could have been selfish and, and taken a floater or, or um, you know, kept going towards the basket and try to make something happen. He looks out the corner of his eyes. He's Brady Minnick, wide open in the corner, hits a three. Carolina's down by six. They get a stop. Uh, R.J. Davis hits a three, two-point game at halftime. I mean, that is that is a huge, huge play that in a game of huge, huge, huge plays probably gets overlooked. But just wanted to give um, Leaky some props there. And then we haven't really talked about Brady Manick. And um, he, I don't – Why not, right? I mean, he is – he's not – he wasn't a Carolina player before this year, but I feel like he's been a Carolina player his whole life with the way he plays and shares the ball and the joy that he plays with. Do you remember earlier this season, um, you know, we all remember when he kind of went off on the team about, you know, what they were doing. Um, it seemed like he was the only one with joy. And now that joy has kind of permeated the locker room and they all are playing with it and experiencing it. And it's easy to see on the court. Um, you talk about a home run in, in the portal. I'm sure I'm going to forget someone who's averaging like 30 points a game, but you can't, you can't tell me a better fit, a better fit, yes. and a better find in the portal for any team than Brady Manning's been for Carolina. I've said it on this show before earlier this year, and thanks for bringing it up. You know, it's, we talk about so much and there was so much that happened, but Manic absolutely was a hero. And it's fun to watch him actually see in some of his post-game quotes. He said, this is why I came to school here. This is why I transferred here. Uh, but, but you make a great point as far as fit and what this team would be without Brady Manic on it is absolutely just uh, a, a stomach, churning thought for for people who follow this program and it's been really cool to see him uh get the accolades and the awards that that come with uh him being as effective and plugging in as well as he has and i think that's that's important i appreciate you sharing that um sean anything that you want to touch on again it's it's so much I mean, we could we could chop this up for another hour and a half but uh things that you feel like we probably missed and, and want to make sure we we don't let them uh don't let them lie well, I mean, just staying on Manic, you know, one, we've talked about it even before he came in, but, you know, even against yesterday, you know, it just, you see it and it's, it's how quick that releases when he catches from the three point line. And you just kind of, you know, shake your head um, just in terms of him getting it off and you expect every shot to go in. So when he does miss, you're like, you know, what, what went wrong with that <laughs> shot? Um, but he's been, been tremendous. And, and yeah, I think, you know, he, he was, you know, ahead of everybody in terms of wanting them to play together. And we always talk about him, you know, being the best player moving the ball. And it seems like for the most part, uh, players have caught up. Uh, there's been a lot more getting into the lane and finding cutters. He's been tremendous uh, at finishing off those cuts. Um, you know, the, the percentage he's shooting at the rim is pretty outstanding. And then 
once again, just going back to the guards because they, they played so poorly against Duke and they had played poorly in some other big games. So that was really the question. And they both answered the bell. Um, you know, RJ just carried it from the beginning and he finished it off. Um, Caleb definitely looked like it was one of those, you know, bad Caleb games through the first half, but he, you know, hit a big three um, at the end of the first half. And then, you know, he was really the one that got, got it started in terms of taking that seven point deficit and, and whether it's through his scoring or passing, um, you know, get helping them get the lead. So they played tremendous. Uh, the team has, has grown a lot and now it'll be interesting if they can, you know, put together a few games in the tournament, uh, how the bench or how the legs will be given how short the rotation has been, you know, for having really just, you know, two games in a week. So, uh, I think it'll be fascinating, but, it, but it's, um, you know, having kind of that game yesterday, you know, definitely puts, uh, <laughs> can put some smile, smiles on people's, people's faces after, uh, you know, a lot of what we saw earlier in the year. I don't know if it's because he's a, uh, really tall white guy that can shoot it lethally from the outside, but Duke fans recognized his ability because every time he caught the ball in the perimeter yesterday, you could hear the air leave that arena. Uh, I think they knew that it was dagger time anytime he caught it, and especially the one that he hit with, I think, two and a half minutes left, put UNC back up seven or eight. Uh, that very well could have been the first major nail in the coffin or the last, depending on how you want to look at it. But you guys are both exactly right in Brady Manick's fit, but also, Sean, your point about that quick release, it's just absolutely lethal. He's, he's hitting things now without even, without even setting his feet, and it's, uh, it, it's really, really fun to watch. Uh, boys, this has been fun. Uh, and what's been a, a fun weekend. I'm sure Tar Heel fans and Inside Carolina subscribers cannot get enough of this injected into your veins, folks. It's been a rough couple of years for, for people who have come to expect certain things out of Carolina basketball. But um, Saturday night was definitely fun for the fan base and for folks to, to really just see what you guys have been saying this team was capable of all year. So I want to give you guys some stroke there. Uh, really appreciate everybody listening to the show. Uh, appreciate you guys. If you haven't, please rate and review us. We appreciate it. If you like the show, just take the second and review it. It means a lot to us. It means a lot to algorithms and advertising dollars and things like that. So trust me when I say it, please rate and review us. If you haven't subscribed, I'm judging you a little bit. Uh, not quite as much as I'm judging uh, people wearing Sesame Street costumes to a basketball game, but I'm judging you a little bit. So make sure you, you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, I appreciate Sherelle and Sean. Appreciate all you guys being here. Thanks to John for producing. Thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. But for Cheryl McMillan and for Sean Moran and for InsideCarolina.com, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast. We will talk to you guys sometime down the road very soon. Late. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.